Welcome to the Athletes Record, where athletes share an honest and inspirational account of their sporting life, the things that matter most to them, and what they learned along the way. The Athletes Record is brought to you in partnership with Lifestyle Sports, Ireland's leading sports retailer. Whether you're a novice runner or an established pro, Lifestyle Sports has all the gear you need to help you train faster, further and stronger. This podcast is produced in partnership with Athletics Ireland and Irish Runner Magazine. In this episode, we meet legend of Irish sport, John Tracy. Hailing from Villiers Town in County Waterford, Tracy had a stellar career as an athlete, winning back-to-back World Cross Country Championship titles and silver in the marathon at the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. Later in his career, he became Chief Executive of Sport Ireland. In the mid-70s, Tracy was awarded a scholarship to study at Providence College in the US, where he built his reputation as a tenacious runner in the NCAA Championships. But it was at the 1978 World Cross Country Championships in Glasgow that he established himself among the best athletes in the world. Uh, Glasgow in 1978 uh, wasn't for uh, the weak uh, hearted. Uh, it was cold, icy, windy, and rainy. And it was a monster of a course. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw tapes to race, but it's a monster of a course. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you come out, I, like it, it was, I was coming off. Uh, a three-mile win in the NCAAs in Cobble Hall in Detroit. If you can run well and you have the work done, you'll run well at all the distances. And that kind of illustrated that. My strength was there. Uh, my speed was there from the indoors. So it's a combination of both. This kind of seed of that world cross-country was, was, was built in the summer before in the woods, Dramana Woods and the hills around Villerstown because that's when I started that period of training for that World Cross Country Championship. So, so it is it is about 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 getting that work in and and and, and what have you. So, I, I, so that I suppose catapulted me into 1978 and and winning that and that was kind of the announcement that I was that I was a, a world class athlete and could compete and beat the best in the world in cross country. So that was that was a fantastic, fantastic achievement. And I can still sense the sense of enjoyment and excitement that I had that day. There was nothing like it in the world because, you know, like you're hoping. Uh, it's funny, you, you look back on that day and I have this thing, you're hoping when you're going, you might be top 10. God, that's the way we were thinking, going to the world cross country. I'd never been to the world cross country before as a senior athlete. When I was there, I was running around with Niall Cusick the night, day before, and he says, "John, you should be talking, thinking about top six here, right?" And just the the, the race unfolds, and suddenly you find yourself in the top three, right? And you're in the middle of this battle um, with a Russian and a Belgian. You're running hard, as hard as, as hard as you possibly can, and your your mindset is, "Okay, there's a big hill coming up, huge hill coming up. Okay, attack the hill." at the top of the hill, just by the top of the hill, attack it. And that's what I did. And just as I, and when I got over the top, I sprinted like hell and I opened up three seconds. And that was, I held it into the end. Attacking, kind of, I was playing to my own strengths uh, in terms of attacking the hill that day and getting away. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, 
a big surprise that day and it was great celebrations uh, as you might imagine and then we had obviously the World Cross Country the year after in Limerick that was pressure never known pressure like that in my life because you know it just it, you couldn't have planned it better because uh, the World Cross Country Championships were in in Ireland scheduled to be in Ireland and lo and behold we had the defending champion coming in so there was a little bit of pressure on me running into that so um, but anyway I got myself in good shape the gun went off and when I talked about Glasgow and really working hard all the way to get the win Limerick was easy it was just you have you have I call it a perfect race no pain and you're going flying and I don't know where that came from I might have had three perfect races in my whole life right that was one of them and uh, just effortless and I I could have kept going if they said there was another three laps it would have been no problem that particular day and uh, like I I just I was just flying uh, and um, there was no one going to stop me that day and uh, we, we had a muddy course I ate it up and uh, uh, and that was a, a fantastic fantastic crowd atmosphere the whole thing uh, was absolutely fantastic and uh, uh, very well hosted in Limerick apart from the crowd invading the <laughs> invading the cross country course <laughs> uh, I think I had to turn around to some fella and tell him hip off when he run beside me. <laughs> I subsequently met that man after, by the way. <laughs> uh, but I, I was kind of afraid of the crowd that day when I crossed the line. Then I just literally ran, ran for, ran for a gate and the back of an ambulance and jumped in and got away. It was just one of those crazy moments in your life. But uh, it was a great celebration. And there comes John Tracy the greatest distance runner we have ever produced and certainly one of the greatest in the world of all time the first man since the 40s to be winning this race for two successive years he's got his hands in the air he knows it's there this 25,000 crowd is going delirious with excitement as John Tracy comes with only 50 yards to the finish the Soviet is behind, battling with Malinowski, two of the great distance runners of the world, left way behind. John Tracy taking the 1979 World Cross Country title for the second successive year. A really astonishing performance for this 21-year-old. After I won in Glasgow, there was a week-long celebration when I came back to Ireland. And of course, of course, I hated every minute of that. Right. So when I won in Limerick, I says, I'm not having any of this. Right. And I got on a plane and went back to America the next morning. <laughs> so I let him celebrate on their own. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't for me, really. I, I would have been oblivious to any kind of fame or being well-known, you know, in Ireland or what have you, being oblivious to it, to be quite honest, because I would have spent a lot of my time in America at those particular times. And, and in America, we were we were anonymous, really. Funny enough, the nice part about it was that, is that when I, when I kicked on and I was into my career at Sport Ireland and what have you and doing my piece and... and uh, 
I'd be I'd be walking the streets of Dublin in the city centre and I'd have a jacket and tie on me and I'd be going to some meeting. And, I'd, and this happened to me loads of times. Passing someone in the street and saying, thanks for the memories, John. Like, wow, what a lift when you're, when you're in the middle of something. Like, that would kind of lift you, you know. It's just, and I'd always say, thank you very much. And it was just something lovely. Now, did all be grey or bald or whatever at this stage, to be all reflect my own age or maybe a little bit younger. Or you'd meet someone, and I had this for a long period of time. A lot of people told me where they watched Los Angeles, the marathon in Los Angeles, and the moment, and what have you. People said it was first sporting memory for some young lads and and uh, young girls and and what have you. So they they are you know you, you hear stories. Well, I was I came back from a disco and I came in. The father was watching it and we sat down together and it was just something that I shared with my father. And it was one of those moments, and now he's gone. The father is gone. But it's lovely stories like that that I hear back from people now, right? And I just think that is fantastic, right? And uh, uh, so, yeah, th- that, piece is, that piece is kind of special now. Having established himself as a world-class runner and in excellent form, John Tracy went to the 1980 Moscow Olympics with a high level of expectation that he would be in contention for a medal. However, in the first heat of the 10,000 metres, running in fourth place and with 200 metres to go, Tracy suddenly collapsed from heat exhaustion and dehydration, casting his Olympic ambitions in serious doubt. Okay, Moscow. Not a great experience, I'd have to say. Um, I, was, I was unlucky. I was in absolutely fantastic shape going to Moscow. I ran, as I said, I ran 13, 20... 1.8 or 9 or something at the national championships for 5,000 metres from the 10,000 metres drawn the first heat 5 o'clock in the afternoon 33 degrees and we weren't prepared for hot weather and we didn't know, know enough about hydration those two two factors and of course I pushed the pace on first heat didn't know how fast we needed to run and that first heat uh, I was safely in a qualifying qualifying position Vern was going out the back I hit the curve with a 400 to go and I don't remember much more after that and I remember waking up uh, under the stand and Tom O'Reardon stuck his head in I remember what he said to me exactly John if you if you crawled you'd have qualified and I remember thinking what's he talking about I didn't have a clue what he was talking about and then it dawned on me I was at the Olympic Games and I had failed to finish the first race of my life. So I'd gone to the most important race of my career and I had failed to finish it. That was, that was the thing that was in, on my mind. Uh, I came out of that and went, went back to the village. Uh, the Irish doctor, Maura O'Brien, was there and she said, no, he's not going to hospital, he's fine, uh, which was the right thing to do. So, uh, and she said, no, your Olympics are over, right? So I woke up on Saturday morning and I said, no. No, no, sorry, I have to do this, I can't, I can't go to the most important race of my career and not finish it, not finish a race. So I said, look, by Sunday I said, I'm going around the 5,000 metre heats, which were on the Monday. Monday rolled around and I got through those heats comfortably enough, I think I ran 
it was they were run at thirteen forty five or something like that. Then the semi finals and I looked at the semi final draw, which were on the Wednesday, which was we had a day's rest. And I looked at this and I said, God, I'll never get out of that heat at semi final. I led a lot of that semi final and pushed it on. And I think I would sprint sprint Dave Moorcroft and Nick Rose to get fourth spot. And then the final was it was eyeball out the whole 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 way, but I got seventh. I ran as hard as I possibly could that day. Uh, and I kind of still consider that my greatest triumph from being unconscious on the track the previous Friday to come on seventh in the Olympic Games a week later. In track athletics in the late 1970s, the rivalry between British athletes Sebastian Coe and Steve Avett dominated the headlines. Having won gold in the 800 metres at the 1980 Moscow Olympics, Steve Avett's homecoming a week later was to be celebrated at the Crystal Palace International Athletics Meeting, only for an Irishman to spoil the party in the 5,000 metres. The Coe and Ovet piece, they were really famous. They were kind of rock stars, right? They were, right? <laughs> and I knew the two of them very well, right? And um, I like Seb and I like I liked Steve Ovet as well. And uh, uh, like we would have visited Steve at his house, um, uh, Frank and myself and Marcus. And we were, we were good friends. And of course, I, had, I have this distinction of beating Steve Overt in the 5,000 metres in Crystal Palace. And the the background to that race is it was the week after the Moscow Olympic Games. So it was the homecoming for the British athletes. So they were all supposed to win in Crystal Palace and win their races easily, right? And I had come off finishing seventh in Moscow in the 5,000 metres, so I was running fairly well. And I said, for once, I'm not going to lead this thing. I'm going to sit in and I'm going to be carried around. Over is probably going to pee off in the last 200 metres and I might finish second. So after six laps, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like I'm out for a jog, right? And as the race progressed, I'm feeling better and better and better. And I'm still refusing to lead this bloody thing, right? And um, for once, I just sat and sat and sat and uh, McChesney took it and then over saw the big wave of the crowd and what have you and I am I am absolutely flying I'm actually really I really it's about having that all that endurance strength and speed and what have you and I'm coming into this thing now I can run flat out right because I'm feeling so good so I says coming into the home stretch I wasn't very behind him I says I'll have one go at, at him right and I ran up to his shoulder and he took one lunk just glanced and he accelerated us away and just as he was coming to the line I saw him slow down and I am still falling down the home stretch right and I just go for it and dipped under right under his arm and whatever I hear this I had grasp from the crowd right and lo and behold I knew straight away that I had beaten him he knew I had beaten him and uh, it was just a kind of one of those kind of moments where you go that, was, that felt great. <laughs> that felt great. And um, anytime I meet Cole, he talks about that race, right? <laughs> he talks about that race. And in fairness to Ovid, um, ever before the, the YouTube arrogance personified became famous, um, was um, he put that photograph of me beating him in Crystal Palace in his book. 
and I, I have it upstairs. So I thought that was a really noble thing for him to do. So he kind of saw the funny side of it as well. So, but it was a, it was a, a great night for myself, and I was the most popular man in Crystal Palace that night, with all the fifteen hundred meter runners. So, <laughs> so, and funny enough, when this video came out, I had, of course, I had forgotten about it and got on. There's loads of other races, road races that I won in America and all that. So I totally not forgot about it, and I got a call from my son, uh, Sean, at the time who was in DCU, and he says. Dad, Dad, have you seen this video on YouTube? And uh, I says, what are you talking about? Uh, arrogance personified. All the, all the track and field lads up here have it on, and they're all laughing and watching it. And, and he says, you need to watch it. You need to watch it. So kind of having that kind of moment with your son, and he's saying, God, you need to watch this, was a lovely thing to happen as well out of it. So, you know, so it was a lovely kind of memory that he was the one that, uh, he got, obviously, he got a great kick out of it as well. So um, it was all good fun. And, um, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a great day, a <laughs> great moment. The American looks as though he's going for home. Ovid still looks oh so relaxed. Tracy looks as though he's pushing a little bit. Ovid looks to see where the opposition is. Beautifully relaxed, 200 meters to go, and one feels that there's only one man with a killer threat there. Ovid looks to see where Tracy is, but Chesney, Ovid goes, has a look, and smiles, he's, Tracy's going after him, and he's got a race on his hands, and Steve's got to run, and it's done him the world of good, he's got to go for the line. Well done, John Tracy, and well done, Steve, oh, he's got it! Tracy may have stolen it. He might just have stolen it, in which case Steve has only got himself to blame. It was a marvellous run. He won't begrudge Tracy, I know that. He'll not begrudge him, but Tracy, the mudlark, has sneaked it in 1327.8, and I'm sure he stole it on the line. In the early 1980s, Tracy's performances plateaued, and so, in preparation for the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics, he took the decision to move back to America to focus on his training, and in particular, a potential attempt at the marathon. With very little pressure of expectation, Tracy trained for what would become one of the greatest moments in Irish sporting history. It really wasn't about about uh, about my performance and expectations. The only one thinking about a medal was myself, right? And um, and again, around the 10,000 metre heats, got through them and then ran terrible in the final and finished ninth. This is, again, the sports science piece. <laughs> so I'm shattered, right? And that's a Monday, and I go away, and I get out of the village, and I spend time with my wife, Fanula, in, in her aunt's house, and I have five days then to get ready for a marathon. <laughs> what way to prepare for a marathon? <laughs> Right, so I kind of went into the marathon with nothing to lose. It, at halfway, I was feeling, I was really feeling like I was out for a Sunday stroll. Right, really feeling good, and then the kind of real race started. And uh, Ikanga was leading a lot of that, uh, leading, leading a lot of the race. And I think it was Charlie actually, Charlie Spedding, I think at thirty three k pushed on and then we started the pack started breaking up and then we were down to literally four with Joseph Nassau being the fourth and Lopez and Charlie and myself and then I think Lopez moved at 37k 
and I was right beside him when he made his move and I tried to cover the move and couldn't. I felt I was sprinting, so I let him go and then it was Charlie and myself fighting it out. Uh, just before we came into the stadium, I opened up a little gap. I wanted to, I wanted to get into the stadium and enjoy that last 500 metres. <laughs> that was really what was on my mind. And I opened up a little gap and um, he caught me. On, there was a tunnel coming into the stadium. He caught me on the run down into the stadium. And uh, so when I looked around and came into the stadium with 500 to go, he was right there. So I had a bit of business to take care of on the sta- in the stadium. And uh, uh, with 300 to go, I kicked again and opened up a little bit of a gap and then I held it all the way to the line. I think it was three seconds in the end. So, um, yeah, so so 67 seconds for the last lap of the race, which is I didn't want to do. I wanted to run about, run about 72 and enjoy the moment, but I didn't get that luxury <laughs> because it was Charlie, myself, Irish and the British athlete competing in the stadium. Like I was back back in Ireland, everyone's congratulating me on my win in my win in Los Angeles, and I kept saying, "I didn't win. I was second. Oh, Jesus, John, you won!" <laughs> I got back from people. <laughs> the John Tracy appears in the stadium. He's very Four tired. Seventy-one. He's tired, but he's great and he's good and he's hanging on. Charlie's bidding just behind him, but now it looks like Tracy is absolutely certain of a medal. Carlos Lopez is coming in to take the gold medal in the Olympic Games of 1984 at Marathon. Now we can concentrate on the battle for second and third. Tracy has come away from spinning as the pictures acclaim Lopez. The crowd are still watching. Down on the track, they're looking at two men, an Irishman and a Briton. They're going for silver, they're going for bronze. John Tracy is 100 metres to go. In the past, Ireland have won bronze medals. John Caldwell, Freddie Gilroy, Saxburn, Jim McCourtney, Russell. They've won golds. Pat O'Callaghan twice, Bob Tizzle, Ron Delaney. They've won silvers with John McNally, Fred Teen, Wilkinson, Wilkinson. And for the 13th time, an Irish medal goes to John Tracy. The crowd stand to the Irishman from Villiers and Waterford. My fellow commentators are on their feet. It is quite remarkable. The little man with a great heart from County Waterford has done it. The winner, and what a winner, 37-year-old Carlos Lopez from Portugal. Only his third marathon, and he is the Olympic champion. He's won two out of three. Well, uh, I ran all the way down the, the home stretch, all the way to the end. And uh, when I crossed that line was one of pure relief. You hear a lot of the athletes talk at the World Championships, his first feeling is relief. And that was definitely the first feeling I had was total relief because uh, I had been running for something like 14 years at that particular time. I always believed I could get an Olympic medal. Moscow wasn't the greatest experience of my life. And here I was and I finally got it. So it just pure relief. Uh, and then, of course, the joy and the excitement came came then. And um, it was, you know, it was just kind of uh, a very happy day for me and uh, excitement. I could, like, I, my legs were in bits. I couldn't walk, but the excitement that I had inside was, I was like a child. It was just second to none. So I did a piece with Jimmy McGee. I did a piece, uh, Brendan Foster was around, uh, and then, did a piece in the media with all the Irish media were around and the province journal lads were around and what have you. 
and uh, yeah it was yeah it was a lot of excitement and pure joy and as I said I spent a lot of time with Tom O'Reardon and seeing the joy in his face because he had seen the hard times as well and as I as I noted in Moscow he was the first one that I recognised and now here I was uh, four years later sharing that moment with him so it was special from, from my perspective so it was P.L. Corn who was the manager uh, and Frank O'Mara and Marcus O'Sullivan and myself made our way back uh, to the, we waited for a bus I remember sitting at the curbside for a half an hour waiting for this bus to arrive <laughs> literally an hour after the marathon and um, sipping away and um, uh, we went back to the village and uh, the, I, there was a big uphill up to the canteen in the Olympic village and Marcus and Frank carried me up the hill <laughs> to eat my dinner and then I got a taxi back out uh, where my wife Fanula was staying and we there was a party gone and that was a, a lovely moment uh, as well meeting her for the first time and yeah she'd been with me and uh, endured a lot as well over three years and uh, you know she'd seen the the heartache of the 10,000 metres and coming up short and um, yeah she'd um, it was great great moment Medaille d'argent Représentant l'Irlande. Winner of the silver medal, representing Ireland, Olympic champion John Tracy. I was due in to to do an interview with Mike Murphy on radio one morning, nine o'clock, but. I forgot to tell him I was going out with my friends and Cora Strock all at the time to celebrate. And so it was three o'clock when I got to bed and I slipped, I slipped it out and missed Mike Murphy's interview. <laughs> so I had to go back the following day and do it with him. <laughs> so uh, funny little things that start, uh, stick in your mind. I then tried to go for a run about a week later and I couldn't run. I literally was laughing as I was walking back to the house. Just, my legs just weren't functioning. So, again, that kind of told me that that, that uh, I'd pushed myself as hard as I possibly could. Like, you go to an Olympic Games, and that's what you, that's the pinnacle of your sport. And a week later, you can run, and you have a medal in your back pocket. It's not a bad feeling. <laughs> Having come to the end of his athletics career, Tracy returned to Ireland, where he was approached to oversee a strategy for the long-term development of Irish sport. He embarked on a successful career as Chief Executive of the Irish Sports Council, which later became Sport Ireland, before his eventual retirement in December 2021. I decided I, was, I wanted to come back to Ireland to live, and, um, and uh, uh, I wanted my kids to go to secondary school in Ireland and they were all, well three of the four were born in America and two of them are back in Boston now uh, but I wanted them to kind of grow up in Ireland. I kind of had the attitude no one owes me anything, now I have to kind of reinvent myself. We had a house in Drundrum uh, at the time and uh, I, I got involved with gold for a while and, and uh, then I got a tap in the shoulder from Bernard Allen uh, to develop a strategy for sport and and we, it just took off from there and it consumed me it consumed me 
and I was looking at other countries in terms of what they had in place and what we had in, our, in place in Ireland yeah. and um, yeah so we just kind of it's like everything else you 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 so I went from there and I actually never looked back that was part of my life parked totally not like park it and you're over here and you're doing this and uh, that experience has taught me an awful lot right but this is what I am now and just uh, just got on with uh, trying to de develop a system in Ireland and putting the sporting structures in place and um, having a modern sporting environment and culture and ethos and uh, supported by government now if you um, if you're an athlete you have a choice you can decide where you want to train and live and you shouldn't be disadvantaged in any way and that's that's the way it is and we have a culture now we're beginning to develop a culture of people uh, uh, being physically active big part of what we do as well and uh, yeah so I think we we laid a, a very solid foundation uh, and and again it's like everything you come to that, the end of that and I was ready to, to retire I was someone that was going 100 miles an hour for all my life and I just said when it came to the end of December on the 23rd of December this phone was ringing constantly people trying to get things done while I was still there and then January 1st came phone stopped I stopped and I took a bit of time and that's 13 Olympic medals for Ireland now 4 golds 4 silvers and 5 bronze and for Tracy a day he'll never forget nor will we well, you might think I was a cross-country marathon or I had a little bit of speed in those early days as well. So I, I could actually mix it up, but I loved mixing it up. And I wasn't afraid. I wasn't I wasn't someone that wanted to win every race either. I knew if I was running 3,000 metres or 5,000 metres, you know, I was... I wasn't going to win these races, a lot of these races, but I was, I was going to certainly win my fair share, but I was going to lose some of them as well. And you don't mind, do you know what I'm saying? But what you're trying to do is get a performance out of yourself and get a time and, and things like that. So you kind of put yourself on the line. We were on the world stage competing against the best in the world. And um, Eamon, as you know, uh, world champion in 1983 and fantastic career in the mile and indoors and all that. And Ray Flynn as well, um, Irish record holder, 1500 metres. And then we had Marcus and Frank following soon after that, and then Sonia. So it was a fantastic time. And we had Irish people up there at the very top of the sport. Uh, sport. And, uh, and competing against the best in the world and beating the best in the world. And we'll have it again. We'll have it again. We've a lot to look forward to. And the future is bright, I think, for some of our athletes. I'd be excited about them, really excited about them. The Athletes Record is brought to you in partnership with Lifestyle Sports, Ireland's leading sports retailer. Whether you're a novice runner or an established pro, Lifestyle Sports has all the gear you need to help you train faster, further and stronger. The Athletes Record is produced by Record Media. Subscribe now for further episodes in our series. <laughs>